You're listening to a Bespoken Media production. This is my family, mental illness and me. I'm Dr. Pamela Jenkins. I, like so many people, grew up with a parent with a mental illness. My mum, Irene, had schizoaffective disorder. This had a profound effect on my childhood and continues to impact my life, even today. This podcast is made by the charity Our Time. In each episode, a different guest will share their own experience of growing up with a family member or family members living with mental illness. I really hope that you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. We do explore some difficult and potentially triggering memories throughout the series. So there's advice and links to support in the show notes. Please, please do speak to someone if you're affected by anything raised in the episodes. This time, I'm with a rising star from the world of professional boxing. Hi, my name's Sarah Pattinson, professional boxer. I used to box for Great Britain and I've got some experiences with uh, having a parent with mental illness. Hi, Cyrus. Thank you so much for being here to talk to me today. I've never spoken to a boxer before in my life, I don't think I've ever met a boxer. <laughs> so this is a, this is <laughs> a There is, there is. I'm just going to hand the floor over to you and tell me a wee bit about your childhood and the parent with a mental illness. I'm very thankful to be involved with our time. Like it's, it's been a, it's a massive thing to me. So I, I think it kind of started off, it was my mom that had mental illness growing up. Uh, she's still, she's more stable now. Um, but my, I would just want to talk about my experiences growing up. So I think where we can kind of start is um, my mom and dad split up when, when I was younger. Um, the house that we're in, we're renting off a family friend. He wanted to sell the house, so we lost it. And we had to move into a, like a, like a small uh, caravan in my, in my grandma's garden. Uh, there was me and my mom were in a, in a bed, double bed, uh, no heating, no electric. Um, so that was, must have been very stressful for my mom at the time. You can't really look, you weren't really thinking that at, at the time as a kid, because that's all you kind of knew. But when you look back in hindsight, obviously that must have had some sort of effect on my mom. Uh, and then when, once we did get, once we did get housed, that was the first experience that I had of uh, of a breakdown. And how old were you at the time? Um, to be honest, like my times and stuff, it's all quite distorted. Like I can't really remember specific ages and even in in certain orders, but um, it was around two thousand and one, so I must have been about six or seven. Oh, you're so young, Cyrus. <laughs> you're a young thing. I, Gosh, that's... yeah. I, I was, I was. I think I'm pretty sure I was sharing. I was still in my mom's bed. I was sharing a bed with my mom at the time, so uh, that's what I remember. It's interesting you say about things merging and you into one and you don't know the time frame you know I I guess that's maybe the way with children and memories generally but I certainly find that when I think about my mum that I don't know what happened when but I have specific memories but I can't quite remember how old I was yeah when I remember certain yeah. things and what was did your mum have a diagnosis after she had her breakdown did she have a specific diagnosis uh, to be, it was a bit like a bit of a manic. It wasn't really too clear at the time. I just remember her waking up in the night, maybe and waking up and she was screaming, uh, like running around the house and stuff and crying. Uh, me and my brother getting up. Uh, it was only me and my brother and my mom in the house at the time. And then 
we had to contact, I think it was my grandma, so she came. Uh, and then my mum was just really frantic. She wouldn't let her up the stairs. The crisis team came. My grandma got the crisis team to come. So me and my mum, my brother, were at the top of the stairs. My mom, grandma, the crisis team were at the bottom. My dad ended up coming. She wouldn't let them up the stairs. She thought something was going to bad that was going to happen. Uh, and then she was diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder. Wow, that's what my mum had. Is it? Yeah, the exact diagnosis. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and to and I mean, I guess my mum had it from when I was born. But for a child to experience the onset of that must be really, really difficult. Yeah. How how did you feel? What do you remember feeling at the time? Uh, it was just shock. Really, it was just like to to hear. Like obviously your mum making them sorts mm-hmm. of noises and screaming and being that upset and being that frantic and manic. It's just you had never ever experienced that mm-hmm. in my life with anyone. Uh so to see obviously the closest person to you, like your mum, being being that way and not that upset was like like yeah. overwhelming. Had she ever had any mental health problems before? When before you were born that you're aware of, or be- when you were younger? Nah, uh, no, none, no. Uh, so that's what I just looking back now on hindsight. I think it's just I can only kind of really put it on to uh, on to stress and stuff. But I don't know if it's a biological thing, if it's in the family. It must be. It must be sort of in the family because my monk has got schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, my auntie. Uh, she, I'm sure she had depression. Um, my, uncle, my other uncle had a breakdown. So it, there, there must be something in in my family. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know. But from my understanding of what I've read, I think, because I think for some children of parents with mental illness, you think, oh, I'm going to get it. I've, you know, that it's yeah, genetic. Yeah. But I think that you can inherit a pr- sort of a genetic trait, but that doesn't necessarily come to fruition it's only if there is a a stressor that then activates that gene and then yeah I think that's my understanding of it as well so what happened then she she got put in a hospital um so me and my brother ended up having to move in with my grandma obviously for school uh and from my understanding I was a bit of a handful and so probably was my brother, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so we ended up getting split up and I had to go with my nana and granda just to share the load because I think my grandma had a lot on her plate as well. So she was looking after my brother. I was look, I was looked after by my nana and granda. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in separate schools, so I never really seen seen my my brother. Uh, and then once my mom did come back out, obviously she was more stable. Um, so me and my brother went back to live with my mom. But then it was the kind of a juggling thing we took on, like a, a carer role, kind of mm-hmm. quite early on in my life. So even through middle school and stuff, there was times like my grandma couldn't always be there, and my dad couldn't always be there. There was people, so it was only, only me and my brother that were in the house. Uh, so making sure that my mom was not getting up for the night, which she was uh, known to do, be quite manic. Our head was quite busy, mm-hmm. so. You catch her like baking in the night or stuff. Obviously, it must have just been stuff to maybe make me and Shavez happy or just occupy her, take away from stress. So 
Um, I remember my, in middle school, my school giving me and my brother time off because we were falling asleep in the class from being up through the night looking after my mom. Uh, so, and then I think that's, I think mostly that's where kind of I've put it down as like I was a kind of product of my environment and I kind of expressed myself in a in a negative way. There was that many emotions going on inside us when I was at, at such a young age. I couldn't really deal with actually what was going on around us. And I think that's why I was, my attitude was the way it was. And I was getting into trouble in school and out of school. Um, and then it kind of stemmed on, got into high school, was kicked out of high school for fighting. Uh, I got back into high school and I, f- I found boxing. And I think that was like the first time in my life where kind of boxing was a form of self-expression and but not in a in a harmful way or a destructive way. It was mm-hmm. a really constructive way for me. Um and it let me kind of deal with everything that was going on inside us and my life out turned outside and that's why I say like I was a product of of my environment, but I made my environment a product of me of me later on in life. Yeah, that's really impressive. And at such a young age as well. I mean, that's incredible. And how did you find the support? You said your mum got support for her mental health. Did you yeah. find that there was any support available for you and your brother? Uh, not too much, to be honest, because I, I remember uh, social workers used to come out and uh, they would have meetings with my mom and they would sit in the living room uh, and me and my brother were kind of just kind of told to keep out the way because it was kind of grown-up talk and mm-hmm. was there like one-on-one time so me and my brother would just be like upstairs or out the way um, obviously they, they did ask and made sure that everything was okay that was going on that weren't being neglected or anything that we never were uh, but I think it was just kind of more observing rather than actually mm-hmm. supporting do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's a big issue. The care really focuses on the person with the illness rather than a sort of the whole family yeah. approach, especially where there are children. Yeah. That's, you know, quite problematic. And yeah. when when were you made aware of your mum's diagnosis? It must have, it would have been middle school, but it would have been like completely foreign language. Yeah. And like to actually, you don't really understand any any of that that's going on you just kind of see the the effect of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're just a part of the effect of it you don't really understand and it's only it was probably in high school that's when I got a better understanding of it as I matured when I was turning like 13 40 yeah but when you're like 7 8 9 10 it's just no it's just too much isn't it did your mom ever talk about it did she have insight into her own condition or did she think she wasn't ill uh no i think she knew she did i because she used to have tablet boxes and stuff where she used to, have to take medication mm-hmm. she used to tell me and Chavez never to touch it okay because uh, it would make one well uh she didn't really describe brief she like might have touched on it but i think it was only later on she kind of uh talked about the voices inside her head and stuff mm-hmm. and uh hearing uh and saying stuff um and it's probably the right thing to do as well because I think trying to like talk to a, a kid or a child about that sort of stuff might be quite frightening or they probably would have took it the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It's 
the voices thing is always something I find really fascinating because my mum yeah. always spoke to herself for, you know, since I can remember and yeah. full conversations, but no insight at all into the fact that she was hearing voices because she wasn't well. For her, yeah. these voices were very yeah. real. And, Definitely. Um, you know, she would talk to me about the voices to tell me about the voices. Oh, you know, yeah. not to say mum's hearing voices because I have a mental illness. She had zero yeah. insight. So I find I find the different presentations of that really interesting. And definitely and like through time as I got older, she's always described it as a as a gift and she's kinda kinda swerved the idea that it is a mental illness. Um yeah. it's when it's when obviously having voices is one thing, but actually following through and doing or listening to them where it's actually taking effect, like if she's run away from home, like she did at one point, mm-hmm. uh, if she went missing, um, it's when it, or when she believes, she used to think people were coming in the house and moving stuff, but obviously she was just moving stuff herself. So she used to come home from school and there'd be like 15 new locks on the door, there'd be locks inside the house and she'd have to lock every door and she'd get really paranoid that there was people coming in and moving stuff and stealing stuff. Yeah. And she would sometimes she might get aggressive with that, asking if we had been letting people in. Um and then also I think a big turning point as well, like it's almost like she didn't want to get better because it wasn't just hearing voices, but after her sister died and her dad died, she was getting them through in voices, which Gosh. was a massive comfort thing. So Obviously, she didn't want to, and why would you want to get rid of the voices that you're hearing when there's it's your sister and your and your dad that you're that you're listening to? So why would you want to get rid of them? Yeah. So that was another another big hurdle. Yeah, that is it's a really difficult one because on the one hand you think, wow, that's so lucky, you know, to yeah. be able to have like you see a comfort like that, and on the other hand, well, we're saying that this is a mental illness, so it's a really a really big struggle I think and you yeah. you said that you and your brother would be up in the night you know in case yeah. something was going on with your mum did you worry about her sort of more generally did that how did it impact you I guess um, it on your well-being as you were growing up uh it like obviously it did make an impact because I felt like I I had changed as a person and me and my brother did worry. I mean, we were like doing split shifts, like sitting, sitting up to make sure that my mom was all right and she wouldn't be going downstairs. And you know, like as you get a little bit older, like you, suicide was a massive, a massive worry as well. So mm-hmm. you were always petrified in case that you'd go in uh, your mom's bedroom and she should not be there or, or she'd not be alive. So that was a big worry and a big thing to take on as a kid. Yeah, that's unimaginable really it's that must have been just so difficult and so recent for you as well it's it's interesting you're the first person I've spoken to with such a recent experience as a child and so that's just yeah must just be very fresh in your mind is how was your relationship with your mum oh fantastic yeah uh, my mum would do absolutely anything for me and my brother uh, my, my whole family would be my my nana, grandma, my grandma, grandma, my dad. Uh, were, were loved. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Were very loved and were never 
it was, obviously it was tough for me, man, being a single parent and stuff, but should always try our hardest mm-hmm. to do anything that she could. She made sure that we went on the school trips and that if we were have a mobile phone, we had a mobile phone and we're presentable and we had uh, clothes and stuff, so we'd go hungry. Um, I know that when my mum was unwell, that the food banks did provide for a short amount of time for her as well, but that was only when my mum was in hospital or... Mm-hmm. Uh, we were living by ourselves and stuff, so no, nah, I had, a, I had a, uh, I've got, I've got a great family. And you close with your, was it your granny or your nana that you stayed with? Yeah, yeah, I am. I so, yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a lot of good memories of them as well. Yeah, I have one of them. Well, sadly, she died, but um, I mean, she was ninety one, I think, um, but she took on that role as well, and I think that's not uncommon that. The grand there's a grandparent who sort of then takes on that role when you're a child and then yeah. later on I have and still have an aunt who um again stepped into that role so I guess it's really lucky to have that extended family around to be able to support yeah, definitely I think you know some kids I guess won't have that so um no very lucky yeah and what about at school and things then you I know you said that you said that you you know you got into a bit of trouble um but did you have any pals that you could talk to that you that knew what was going on at home? Did the teachers know? Um, I don't really think my friends knew. Uh, and I would try to avoid bringing my friends back sometimes. Like mm. if, if it was going through that kind of phase. Uh, my teachers, there was one, one or two teachers that did kind of under, understand. Like uh, Mrs. Wood, I remember, and I was in the area. And I think she was the one that kind of uh, pushed for me to have time off school mm-hmm. to like recuperate and if I wasn't if I was sleeping in class and stuff. Um but in high school as well, like I just find that the 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 way that I was and the attitude I was and how aggressive I was or troublesome, I just feel like some of the teachers just kind of looked at it as that because obviously they're getting paid that's it's more than the job mm-hmm. to go a little bit deeper and think why yeah. why is he this way or why is he aggressive and it was just kind of left at the door with, with majority of them. But there, there was some that used to pull us to a side and ask about my home life, my family life, and that was a massive like bit of support to have. Yeah. You, for you not feel like you're alone. Yeah, absolutely. And some of them just to be a bit really understanding yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of kids don't want to disclose what's going on at home, or you know. I, I mean, I never talked about it. I felt embarrassed, to be honest. Yeah. Having teachers. I think with boys as well, I don't know if this is a bit of a generalisation, but, you know, I think boys sometimes get the raw end of the deal here because the presentation of stress is more often aggressive or violent than it is with, more so yeah. than it is with girls. And so... Definitely. I don't think it's really a generalisation because uh, boys and girls... Are completely different biologically we deal with things in different ways and uh and i think that's i might get into trouble for saying that but <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i think that we are just different we are kind of we are different do you know what i mean we've got different qualities and we deal with things differently so yeah absolutely and people yeah i think i just think sometimes when you see that a boy we certainly are having this a wee bit i've got two boys and if ever they sort of at school are if they're 
hard done by or they're wrongly accused of something and then they get a bit warm about yeah. it and say, hang on a minute, that they then are still chastised because they are maybe a bit warmer about it. <laughs> but they, yeah, they yeah. feel like they're being punished for being boys. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds daft, but it it's how they feel. And I think we need to listen to that. And so if you've got something going on at home and you have a child who's, who's presenting a certain way, I think you're right. You need to ask that question and, and dig a bit deeper. Yeah. And I think that's what our time is kind of helping to, to bridge that gap now. And I think schools is one of the most, is probably most vital way because mm -hmm. once they leave school, your, your life can go into that folk road and you can kind of go in so many different directions. Yeah. And if if you're not nurtured and if you don't handle it in the correct way, it can be very uh, destructive for anyone, for a boy or a girl. Yeah. Um, so I think you can't change the problem. You can't stop people having mental illnesses and mental breakdowns. But I think supporting a child and, and being there and understanding and giving them that adequate support at that pivotal point in their life, I think can massively influence what direction that they're going to go in. Absolutely, absolutely. It would have been so great to have our time. I always think this, to have that yeah. on offer. And so how did you, before, I want to ask you a wee bit about, you know, the boxing and how, how your experience yeah. influenced that. But before that, how did you come to be involved with our time? How did that come about? Um. It was, I was, I'm sure I was trying to raise money or I was just, I was, I think I might have been thinking about doing the Great North Run or something and I, and I was looking for a charity. I didn't really just want to pick any charity. I wanted to pick one that was more for me and I ended up coming across this one and um, I had I had a kind of an interview online or a meeting uh, that, and how I can raise awareness and um, and then it just things kind of escalated from there and, and just moved forward. And I am trying to be involved as much as I can, even just to, even if it's just one listener or one child that's thinking that that there is no other future or possibilities for them in the future. If I can just shed some sort of little bit of inspiration for them, mm -hmm. that you can't go back and change the past, but you can sort of day and change the future. Uh, and if, and if that could help someone's life or a child's life, then, well, then that would be mean so much for me. Yeah, absolutely. So how did how did your experience shape your future or the future that you are now living? I guess. Yeah. How did you get into boxing? How did that come about, and what impact did your mum have on that? Uh, it was I was playing football at the time, but I don't really think it was fulfilling enough because I was still getting in trouble. Um. And there's like there's that saying I think no matter how how much how many seas are surrounding a boat, a boat will only sink if the water gets inside. And I think for such a amount of time in my third life, the water was getting inside of us, mm -hmm. and that was developing a, a stronger mindset and not letting things kind of penetrate us. Uh, but football wasn't. Uh, fulfilling us and I think I still was getting into trouble um, and I just took took really like an interest to boxing and, and a family friend he was boxing at the time he took us um, and then I just never looked back and I was I was really good at it naturally good I think I was went my first nine fights undefeated and then I think I went uh, 18 and losing one uh, getting the national finals and stuff and 
and not just only in the boxing, but I was kind of like a role model that the teachers had put us down to in year 11. Mm-hmm. I know that it took us that much time to like sort my life out, but <laughs> yeah, year 11, I kind of finished sweet. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think they were kind of trying to like push us for like head a year and stuff for, and I would do talks with younger other people in like year nine and year 10. Uh, wow. And I think they were just trying to get us like to use as a as a role model, and I and I go back as much as I can to all the schools in my hometown, and I've been to some schools in in Newcastle as well, uh, just to try and share a little bit of light on my story, and just saying that it's never it's never too late, and obviously you're you're the control, you're the master of your future. Yeah, absolutely. You're saying, and you know, it's never too late, and it's take it took you so long to sort your life out. I think you've done that pretty quickly. I mean, you. No, thank you. Seriously, it's, I'm still working on that, and I'll be forty next year. So <laughs> I don't. No, I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's taking you long at all. And um, how about your brother? Are you close with him? And do you share together? Do you talk about things? Yeah, I speak to him like every day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Even like he's on holiday at the minute, so I'm still pretty much speaking to him every day. I'm trying to get him to, but me and my brother are like very close to like the same people really because <laughs> I think we've I think the experiences have kind of brung it together do you know what I mean yeah. even if there wasn't as much support outside that there was always me and my brother going through so I was very lucky to be to go through and share my experience with someone yeah. that was could completely relate to it and I know that so many kids are probably just a one child or they're yeah. on their own and and have no one to turn to and that must be uh, extremely difficult it is. I was an only child, and yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would have loved, loved to have had a sibling. Yeah, yeah. and then you live with that loneliness. You know, it sort of stays. Yeah, you know, even yeah. though my mum's gone now, it's still, still just me. Still, ha- somehow dealing yeah. with it, even yeah, even definitely. after all this time. So, which is why doing this has been amazing. Actually, um, it's like the the best way to pay for therapy. Just talk to. <laughs> And it is. And I, to be honest with you, I never, I never think it's any of it's completely fixed or gone. It's, I think you do drift, and I think some, mm-hmm. it is something that you do need to reaffirm, and you do need to be kind of proactive with. I think, uh, and you go through waves in your life. You go through phases and stuff, and sometimes periods might seem a little bit more heavy and difficult than others, and mm-hmm. sometimes it feels all right, and then sometimes it might be you might struggle a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think you just, like you say, you just take each day at a time, don't you? Have you spoken about it before? Like, do you do you speak about it a lot? Uh, just in just in schools, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the way that I've liked it because it's never been out there permanently. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. I've always it's always just been just that half an hour. Then I'm able to leave. But this is a, a massive thing for me to obviously put it in concrete for people to know that to listen to my story and, and maybe just go back and listen to it again or share it and yeah it's just that was a bit of a like obviously a bit of an overwhelming feeling but I'm I'm 29 now like and I think this is it's the best time to do it and yeah just gotta go for it and honestly it's we're so I personally am so grateful every time I speak to someone else it just it really helps and so I I'm in no doubt that this will help other kids and adults. Yeah. You know, it's it's so important and we're so grateful that, that 
you've been here to chat about it. And how's your mum now? How how is she? Yeah, she's a uh, she, she's all right. She's out of work at the moment. She's been a couple of years and since our, our dad died. Um, but I think time just moved so fast inside her kind of in in her world. Mm-hmm. I think it'll probably feel like last last week to her, and I don't think she realizes how much time's went on. And and that's always been probably the one of the hardest things for me. Like as much as I want my mom to get better and I want her to get well and I want I want her to be financially stable and and all these things, I can't really. And I think the more I've tried, um, and I've not got what I wanted, it's had more of a detrimental effect on me. So it's, I think it's, a, it's a hard thing to learn to just advise, and whatever happens, happens. Because yeah. I think when you, when you want something, for someone so much, and when they don't want it as much as you, mm-hmm. I think it can't take so much from you. Uh, and it's, it's quite a juggling act, especially with coming up with fighting and stuff yeah um I, i've been i've learned from experience like if i if there's like a big event a big something going on at the time not an event but a big occasion going on or if, sometimes it can take so much out of us by the time i get in the gym or train i've I've got my commitments i need to do like and i'm just absolutely useless and i and i've always my dad's always told us that if you're not right nothing else can be and and if you're not if you don't look after yourself, then you can't look after anyone else. Yeah. So it is an awful feeling and thing to get to kind of do to be that selfish. But I think we're not selfish. We're like probably the most giving people in the world. But sometimes you've got to give to yourself as well. Yeah. In order to help other people. Absolutely, and to cope. You know, it's it's. I think unless you've been through it, it's so difficult to express how emotionally draining no matter how much you love the person yeah. and how much they love you how draining it is and how difficult yeah. it is to you never i think i don't know if if this is how you feel but listening to you describe it it's like you never stop being a carer just because you know nah, you're a nah. child carer and then you move on to being an adult carer really yeah, yeah and like like externally for so many people it'd be like oh we you can just just take a pinch of salt or stop letting it get here. But when you care about someone so much, you mm-hmm. can't you can't just switch on your feelings. You deal with it better, and it might not affect it as much. But you can't just otherwise you just wouldn't bother. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, I'm always gonna have that hope, and I'm always gonna fight that fight to do what I can for my mom yeah. and to help her get better. Yeah, it's hard to be so out of control. It must be feel. I know I found that you know I I always was wanting to yeah. be in control of things and but it's one thing you just are never going to be able to control. Definitely, it's and that takes time as well, like to learn to control the controllables, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can only control what you can control, and everything else you've just got to like kind of let it be. Because I think the more the the more things that you do try to control, I think you're setting yourself up for a fall, aren't you? And it has more of a detrimental effect on you. Yeah. And that hope as well, that also never goes away, that one day it'll be better. They'll get better. Yeah. That's always yeah, definitely. living there. And it's just like repeated whenever anything goes downhill or there's an, you know, yeah. an episode or something. It's that repeated living the pain again. It's, it's, it is. There's no, in my mind, selfishness at all about 
yeah. about taking care of yourself you have to you have to do that and um yeah i don't know about you but i definitely i'm a compartmentalizing person is that a word um yeah yeah and sometimes actually just it's probably not long term a good strategy but just sort of separating it off in my mind and just yeah. not really dealing it with it at times yeah definitely <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes you've got to do that though and you've got to give yourself that little respite, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I wish I had boxing or something though to help. I need <laughs> to find a, a passion like that. I think it's amazing that... Yeah, that's a, that's a thing as well. Like, I don't really... I don't know if I would be as successful at what I'm doing now if it wasn't for my, my past and my environment because that has been a massive driving force mm-hmm. for us. Uh and I don't don't think you completely like forget about you forget about what you want or want to because like when times do get t- tough and I don't want to go to train or I'm in a, I'm in a tough fight and like like I don't want to fight anymore then then those are the things that kind of come in and let it drag you on and yeah that's what I mean by like using it correctively and it was like a controlled aggression whereas mm-hmm. beforehand when I was younger I just didn't really know how to deal with it but it. And it's a thing of uh, one day your pain will be um, the greatest source of your strength. So it's just using that and using it as a fuel in the driving in the driving force because that that can separate you from so many people that if they haven't got that driving force, then they haven't got that advantage. Even though people that would look at it as a disadvantage, you can't uh, I can't change it. So I've just got to use with what I've got and turn into a positive, which I feel like I have. You absolutely have. And it's who you are, who you are today is so wrapped up in that. And the the kindness and the empathy that you that really emits is is amazing. I was gonna ask you what your mum thinks about the boxing. She's uh she's she's really happy, she's really proud. My whole family on me my dad, my dad's never missed one of my fights. Even my mum comes to it and I, I think it's quite bizarre in a way, like and I don't know if it's if it is a part of a mental illness that she can kind of like take herself out of herself when she watches this because there's so many people in my family, my brother, and my dad, uh, they're like absolutely up a height. The concert still, it's a, like really emotionally draining for them. Whereas my mom would just sit there and just experience the whole thing and be absolutely be fine with it. Uh, especially my last fight, like it was. It was non-stop for nine rounds, and they try to say that was probably yeah. It was literally me and another gentleman in a phone box just punching non-stop, oh and it was God. I was I was urinating oh. blood for three days. Oh I my! Both the eardrums. So oh. it was like where my mom was just like absolutely com- completely fine with it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'd be up there getting stuck in. Get up! I know. Imagine, <laughs> like how like how would you feel like watching your boys? Oh, do you know, I cannot, I just cannot imagine it. However, it's funny you said before about football, you tried football and it, um, our two are really into football. That's great. But it is, the culture that surrounds it is not ideal and the the controlled aggression isn't always there. So, you know, that's not the case for everybody, obviously, but we find amongst the kids when they play, there's a real variation and some people are very aggro. And it yeah. has a real knock-on effect, yeah. and so it maybe isn't necessarily the sport I would have chosen for them. Now yeah. that I'm seeing it in action, 
but I can see why boxing would be good because even though obviously it appears to be very violent, yeah, it like you say it's controlled violence. So definitely, and I think um, even not just for like you don't they don't need to compete or fight or box. Uh, I know Jordan Peterson talks about it massively, and he says that it, it teaches you to be strong, but it teaches you to control it, and I, and I think mm-hmm. gives you strength, but it teaches you to control it and. I think that's that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you don't teachers just it taught me so many different values, uh, and just completely changed my life. And I've kind of advised it and uh, pushed as many people towards it as I can. Not not to compete, or it's not about competing or fighting uh, or boxing, I should say. Um, but just the whole the discipline, the set of it, the code, the the gym code. Which I I don't really know if, if football's got that, and if it, like you say, if it does get a little bit twisted and distorted. Yeah, it it does. It's it's a really difficult one. But hearing you talk about boxing, you know, I I don't know how I would feel about the urinating blood for a number of days. That might. Nah, that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's might, extreme. That's that's, that's very high. Like, yeah. But it's amazing, and just hearing how impactful it's been for you, and seeing you, and hearing your story, and what an impressive person you are you know if my boys were like that i would be absolutely over the moon so honestly i mean watch this space maybe i'll (laughs) turn them in that (laughs) direction send them my way and i'll look after them i will i definitely will and i'll let them listen to this episode the older one will be 10 on monday and and he gets to listen to some of the episodes and this is definitely one that he would love so um i will look forward to it i'm sure i will and so what do you want to accomplish next? What what do you think the next sort of five, ten years looks like for you with your career? To be honest, Mom, I've, I've always kind of just uh, just said that I've just hit one fight at a time. Uh, and I feel not for any other reason that I get to enjoy it and be present. And I think that's the biggest thing in life. I think too many people are, I think, like you say, like it's, yeah, are you actually living your life or are you just checking off a checklist? You wake up get dressed, get food, go to work, come home. And then you're kind of just always chasing. And I think like, especially in boxing and sport, you always want to be, you want to be, as as much as I am ambitious and you do want to be fitter, stronger, better, and you've got targets. But I do feel like you end up chasing them and I don't think you really get the, you feel content Mm -hmm. or find happiness in your life. Because um, you're always chasing the horizon yeah. and you'll never ever ever get there. Yeah. So I do try to be the best possible person and fighter boxer I can be. But I just try to live in the mm-hmm. moment, and the only fight that really exists in my mind is the one that I've got next. Uh, and I just that's just the way that I treat it now. I think that's a really really great way to think, actually, because you don't want to miss out on now because you're thinking of too far ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think by the time the future comes. Like you'll reflect and you'll look back and you think, do you know what it is? Like, I wish I was just in that moment yeah. again and just try to really soak it up. Because mm-hmm. um, once in my life, uh, I, I pigeonholed myself and I only wanted to be uh, Northeast champion as an amateur. So I surpassed that by a million, million mm-hmm. miles and didn't really know where to go after I achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. Um, so I went on to boxed England, Great Britain, turned professional, win titles, and then you're just kind of left in no man's land. So yeah. I just try to focus on that short-term goal because 
you don't really know, need to know the future too much. Mm-hmm. If that's the direction you're going, then that's where you're heading. So I think just focus. Yeah, it'll take care of itself. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's just so impressive, honestly. It's amazing. And I'm so pleased that, you know, like you say, you've turned what could have been a really stre- you know, difficult situation into something yeah. really positive. And no, thank you. And to know to to just have the awareness. I think when I speak to people who have had the awareness to to recognize that and pursue yeah. an alternative path, that decision to say, no, I don't want this to be something that badly affects me and the rest of my life. I am going to decide now that I'm going to take a different path. And the strength of character that that takes is something I'm completely in awe of. I think that's just amazing. So obviously you've. You've done Hands exactly off. the same, and you've got two beautiful boys, so ah, you're very you. successful as well. Well, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm still finding my way. <laughs> now still we finding all are. my path. We all are. We all but, are. Yeah. Oh, such a joy to meet you, and really, really hoping to see you in person some point soon. I know we were Definitely. thinking of maybe recording this in person, and it didn't happen, so hopefully we'll get to catch up properly at some point. That'd 100%. be amazing. No, thank you very much for your time as well. Well, thank you. Honestly, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. This has been My Family, Mental Illness and Me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, we would love you to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes. Please share these stories with anyone you think might need to hear them. You can help bring talking about mental illness out of the shadows. If you're experiencing any of the issues discussed in this podcast, please know that you can get in touch with the charity, Our Time. Our Time provides support to thousands of children and young people who have parents or guardians dealing with mental illness. It's ourtime.org.uk or at Our Time Charity on social media. If you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important that you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but you can also contact your GP, call the Samaritans on 116 123, or contact Childline on 0800 1111. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is made for our time by Spoken Media. The production team are Patrick Wallace and Dave Howard. Original music composed by Joel Cox. Produced by the Spoken Media.